Welcome to the business of being well. If you're a hands-on practitioner who wants to grow a profitable business without working your life away, you're in the right place. So sit back, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. I'm here today with Dr. Lauren Collins. It's Dr. Lauren's first time on the show, which is crazy because um, I've known her now for probably three years, maybe even longer. So hi, Lauren. Thank you for making the time to be here with me today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us about who you are. Um, So my name is Dr. Lauren Collins, and I am a chiropractor I focused on the perinatal, postpartum um, periods of life and also work a lot with younger kids. So really throughout infancy and toddlerhood. Um, I'm also a mom of one and a wife. So my son, he'll be 18 months in a, in a few weeks as we're recording this or really a couple weeks this month is no, I take that back a week. This month is flying. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> so um, I have an 18-month-old son uh, and a husband and a golden doodle named Cooper. My husband's name is Jonathan. And we are in the Fort Worth area. So I practice in the DFW Metroplex and I'm inside a birth center. I also recently launched a motherhood podcast that was kind of the evolution of what it started as a personal blog after years of giving out um, recommendations and tips and lifestyle advice on sticky notes and via email and conversations with my practice members after they were getting adjusted. So it started there and now has evolved into me sharing about my motherhood journey and sharing about um, finding rhythm in this season of life as a new mom and a little bit of my expertise when it comes to holistic health and the um, pregnancy and postpartum stages of life. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about the podcast in a bit. And first, I would love to hear, I don't think I know this about you, why you chose the hands-on modality that you did, which is chiropractic. Um, I actually, so in undergrad, my, my major started out as dance. So I have danced for most of my life. I really didn't stop completely in terms of like actually actively taking technique class and even teaching until probably like 2016 or 2017. I taught adult ballet up until like 2017, actually. Um, So that's where I started. And I had that situation where my parents were like, you know, are you really sure you want to major in dance? Like, what are your career options going to be? So then I decided to major in exercise science because it kind of sounded, you know, related. So that was my major. And I I decided to minor in dance and through making that transition in my major, I started to think about grad school because I honestly hated that major. I didn't like it at all. 
it was just one of those things that was like, this looks good on paper and this is more quote unquote acceptable than a dance degree. So a really popular grad school choice at the time was physical therapy school because I realized I was like, well, I don't really love this major and the career options that I was aware of. So I'll just keep going through school and, you know, I'll figure something out. So PT was really popular and competitive at the time. And I did an internship at an integrated clinic that had PTs, um, a massage therapist, and it had chiropractors. And between that experience and really seeing what the style, like the work styles were like, I found that I was more drawn to chiropractic. And at the same time, I had an injury from dance and my Pilates lab and contemporary dance instructor recommended I see the chiropractor that saw all of the staff. And that was my first experience with chiropractic. And I healed up really well. And I was just amazed because I was in really bad shape and in a lot of pain with that injury. And I had a really positive experience. So after those two things of being a chiropractic patient and then realizing I really didn't like the PT route, that's how I decided to go to school. And I really jumped in pretty blindly. <laughs> um, I had only been adjusted, you know, that short period of time when I had the, that injury. And it was one of those things that I visited campus and I had that gut feeling like this is where you're supposed to be. And I jumped into it. I don't have a strong background in sciences or you know, I wasn't pre-med or biology or anything like that. I actually, for a long time, thought I wasn't very good at those things. I was more on that um, right brain side of, you know, being a dancer and being into like the humanities and into the arts. So for a long time, I just didn't think it was a fit for me, but it really resonated because I had such an interest in holistic health and the way the body worked. And that's how I ended up as a chiropractor. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I didn't know all of the parts of that story, but I do remember that you were a dancer because I also was a dancer. We'll talk more about that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> um, ever since I can remember first meeting you online, I, we've never met in person. Um, I've always thought you are really great with your online marketing. And I'm wondering if that was like, if your dance history was a part of that for you, did you, did you feel more comfortable being on the social media stage, if you will, because of your previous years being on the actual stage? I think so, because there is, it's I am a, an introverted person in real life and like I'm one of those people that small talk doesn't come naturally to me. I have to really like force it and think about it. I've gotten better at it, you know, with being a chiropractor now for going on six years and having those conversations with people face-to-face -face on a daily basis. But, you know, going into it, it's not something that comes naturally to me, but being on stage in real life does kind of take away some of that fear that I think comes with being on that social media stage, if you will, excuse me, because I think people have a lot of fear of like, we're going to look stupid. People are judging me. What if they notice 
this about me? What if my face looks weird? Like all of these thoughts that can kind of go through your head. But when you're on that stage in real life, you realize that nobody is really, nobody notices those things and nobody's really thinking that hard about those little insecurities and weird things that you might be thinking about. And also that as the performer, you have more power than you realize to convey whatever it is that you're wanting to convey, whether it's through, you know, your message or through your art or um, how you're connecting with your audience. Hmm. There's a lot of parallels to dance. I don't know that I ever thought about it in that much detail before. (laughs) I think if it feels good for you, Lauren, everyone should go follow you on social media, probably what Instagram, because there are so many people that are also saying, yes, I'm an introvert. I don't really naturally start conversations with people. Social media freaks me out. I don't feel comfortable putting myself out there. And yet you like, despite you being an introvert, (laughs) you still do it. And I don't ever look at your social media posts and think, Hmm, she seems so introverted. (laughs) You just seem so natural. One thing I think people, it like something as a more introverted and private person in some ways, you do have, you can pick and choose which things you share and which parts of yourself you share and that some things can still stay, stay sacred. So I think that takes away some of the nerves behind it too. Like for example, when you go on my social media, you won't see a lot of my husband Mm. and that's just not an area that I like to share about like about my marriage or um he is not he's like a social media lurker anyway (laughs) like if you look on his page it's literally pictures of me and pictures of our son he doesn't even really know how to use like stories and stuff like that so that's just his preference is he's more private about certain things And I've kind of carried that over into my presence as well. Like I don't, you know, push him to, you know, be in my stories with me or to do, you know, lots of things with me. He will on occasion, if it's something that I feel like his voice would be really important. Like we did do a a live about the postpartum period and partnership and how we, you know, were able to be partners in his um, experience as a new dad. So on occasion, you know, he will, but in general, that's not something we share. So for some people, you know, putting it all out there, whether it comes to, you know, your marriage or your business, or if you're like a body positivity person, so you're really big on, you know, sharing raw images of, you know, what real bodies look like or what have you, you can kind of find your lane with that because there are some people that are on social media and it is literally like one super niche down thing like I follow somebody who does clothing resale so she doesn't share a whole lot about her personal life but you see a lot of her clothes and a lot of her resale tips and you know things like that interesting what motivates you to have the presence that you do on social media despite being 
introverted? Um, interestingly, I found that having that presence is what draws people to me and to my practice even more so than the business side, because being in healthcare and being hands-on, it is something that is really personal. And I find that people really connect to me as a human more so than they connect to me as an educator or as an expert. And that's just for me personally, that's not to say that, you know, that couldn't be your thing if, you know, you really love positioning yourself as the expert and really educating and sharing those types of things. But from my experience, people really love to hear like those real raw candid things about, um, you know, just trying to find your rhythm and trying to find balance and like navigating a wellness journey or, you know, navigating through motherhood. So once I had that realization that that was kind of my, my magic, if you will, or my secret sauce for how people really connect to me and are drawn into what I have to share with them. I just got more comfortable with, you know, being candid with them and um, being comfortable with that being the means of how I was connecting with my audience instead of feeling like I had to do one of those other or take one of those other avenues to do that. This is probably somewhat a silly question to even ask you, but I would assume that you had to get started growing your um, community on social media before it actually worked to grow your practice, right? And and like you you just got started and then you saw that it worked and you kept going. Yeah. So if you go like, I don't think I've deleted any of my posts. I probably should do that at some point, but I haven't. <laughs> so like, if you look at my, um, like my, for my practice, for example, if you go like way back when I started, it was kind of more like words and graphics or, you know, pictures of me at, um, health fairs and you know community outreach events things like that and over time it evolved to those more personal uh posts and I still on my practice page I do kind of mix it up a little bit but I started the Dr. Lauren Collins page because of the blog and wanting to share more about outside of the office and it was over time of running both pages that I realized more people would say, like, if I have on my intake, that's like, you know, where did you find me? More people said that they found me through that Dr. Lauren Collins Instagram account than they did the actual practice page. So once I started kind of gathering that data and realizing that I was like, okay, this is what is really connecting with people the best. And then I just kept going and, you know, over time, just refine it and evolve. Did that surprise you? It did because I think I, I know there's that whole no like trust factor that's important, but I think I underestimated, I underestimated that. Um, And I can even say, 
when it came to first starting out in my office and thinking like my office should be a certain way and you know whatever materials that I'm handing out should look a certain way and be I don't know just look perfect and super put together at that time I didn't realize how little people cared about that and how much they cared about my um, connection with them and the value that I was able to bring them um, as an individual with just you know my mind my presence my knowledge those intangibles yes you hit the nail on the head when you said intangible I love that yeah so recently you started a podcast (laughs) this is something that I get asked a lot about. I'm going to be totally transparent. I I talked about this in episode 181, why in 2020 people would ask me how to get started with the podcast. And I was like, just don't do it. (laughs) Don't don't start (laughs) one. Um, Because I had been doing it for five years at that point. And I was like feeling a little burned out, um, kind of going through the motions of just putting a new episode out there every week. And I needed to take some time off and reevaluate if I still wanted to keep podcasting. But in the process, I was turning people, like I was turning people away from doing it. And I thought that's not really fair to other people. So it's part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on today and talk about why you started a podcast and what that experience has been like for you. So let's start with the why first. What, what, well, especially being an introvert, a self-identifying introvert, right? Like why start a podcast? So I will say the introvert part of me really struggled at first. And there were a lot of moments I had to push myself and because I was having, I was having thoughts like, you know, well, what if you say something that offends people or what if I didn't think I never really thought like, oh, nobody's going to like this. It was more of like, what if you say the wrong thing? Or, you know, what if you're offensive or those kind of thoughts. And I really had to push myself in thinking, you know, I'm going to do my best and I'm not perfect. I probably will say something that's offensive um, (laughs) at some point. And, you know, everything isn't going to be for everybody. So you're just doing yourself a disservice by going into it, thinking that you have to please everybody because I'm not speaking to everybody anyway. Um, So I had to push through with that. And also that thought of like, oh, everybody has a podcast. Like why, you know, is someone going to listen to yours specifically? You know, those kind of thoughts. I had to really just kind of give myself that internal pep talk And I also found that for me, just talking into a microphone is kind of the same feeling of talking into the camera or, you know, going back to that performance analogy. It's not so much the talking or, you know, the being on camera that is draining to me as an introvert, as the energy exchange of like an in-person interaction. (laughs) That sounds, I feel like that sounds bad kind of saying it, but it's one thing if I'm just talking at the mic, it's another thing if I'm having a dialogue with somebody and we're having like an energy exchange 
Yeah. Because I'm one of those people where I'm like, I could talk to somebody for like a couple hours and then feel like I literally don't want to open my mouth for the rest of the day. Like, don't talk to me. Mm -hmm. I'm done. Um, (laughs) So doing the podcast just feels different. As far as how I got started or why I decided to do that, I started blogging at the end of 2017. And I talked a little bit at the beginning why I started doing that. And just with people asking me for information and tips that weren't directly chiropractic related, but still kind of in my wheelhouse, just as a holistic health practitioner, being a doula, all of those things. So I just wanted a separate space to share those things. And that's how I started the blog. And over time, I found that I had a hard time keeping up with being consistent with my blogging and now with so much like short form video content like you know TikTok and reels and just video content in general that people are consuming more of I just was noticing the changes of how people are consuming information and I felt like my audience is it's really unlikely that in I'm going to say we, because I fall into that sector of who my audience is. Um, We're not really consuming a lot of long form blog posts. It's more of that, you know, video content on our phones or, you know, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, um, listening in the car, or, you know, when we're on walks, taking our kids on walks to the neighborhood or to the park, things like that. So I wanted to show up more consistently. Consistency was actually my word for 2021. Ah. So I felt like me doing the podcast would be a way that I could still reach my audience in a way that they were actually going to be able to consume the content regularly and to meet, for me to be able to show up, um, but it not be something where I'm like having to go live on Instagram all the time or having to show up on my stories all the time. Or alternatively, writing the post and spending all this time, you know, doing photos and editing and writing um, for people not to read it or to skim it. This is so great to hear from you because there are so many reasons that you've given to start a podcast that were, in my mind, the exact opposite reasons. So, for example, in 2015, that sounds like such a long time ago. I, I started I started live streaming on Periscope. And then when Facebook had their live streaming capability available, I just naturally rolled over to Facebook live streaming. And I used to get tons of engagement in my videos, not all of them, but many, and lots of, lots of views, lots of comments. And gradually over the last couple of years, especially, um, I've kept on doing those weekly videos And guess what? Hardly anybody watches them. Hardly anybody comments on them. And I'm like, hmm, what am I doing wrong? I only realized a couple of weeks ago, oh my gosh, it's because we have all these new short form video um, capabilities that are available now. And that's how people are watching video. It's not in the long form anymore. And so it was like this light bulb moment where I was like, oh, I'm not doing anything wrong other than just like, I haven't adapted to the, the platforms. 
And I had felt a lot of resistance to doing that because I was like, I don't want to just get on the next bandwagon. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, and then I reminded myself that actually that was what I had done before. So it just opened my mind to being more, well, being more open-minded really about what's available to us now and how things have changed. Cause they have changed a lot in the last six years. Yeah. Yeah. What have you learned so far in regard to starting a podcast? Um, let's see. The learning curve was a little steep for me at first, but it wasn't anything that I couldn't push through. So that, that was a whole learning process in it, in itself, just figuring out the technology it was not as hard as I thought it would be, honestly, um, especially with editing and things like that. So I'm right now I'm editing my own because I wanted it to feel more raw. Like I didn't want it to be super polished. I wanted it to feel like we're like we're girlfriends and we're on the phone or we're like you know, having a voice message conversation back and forth or, you know, talking over coffee or something. Like I didn't want it to feel super produced. Um, So that's why the editing editing was easy for me. I might change my mind later, but for the time being, that's how I wanted it to feel. Yeah. And uh, figuring out the mic situation Mm -hmm. um, was a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, those things that I was able to move past quickly Um, Something I've learned that is a positive is how much easier batching the content is for me with podcasts Hmm. and with the whole consistency piece, it's been a little bit of a, a bright spot for me actually, because I'm not having to like produce new images all the time. Um, my actual show notes, blog posts that I'm putting up and like linking things or embedding my episodes, I literally just duplicate them and make whatever edits that I need to. So that's something that I learned that has actually is something I'm excited about. And from, I don't know if this is something I, well, maybe it is something I learned because it's kind of a light bulb moment when it comes to how people can monetize their podcasts as well, outside of just ads. There are a lot of things that I'm talking about that I feel I'm able to express a little bit more clearly and create more connection with people um, because I'm using my voice. And to me, it feels more personal than just my writing. Um, I don't know if that's just my, preference and perception or if it's because I'm not I'm not a bad writer but I feel like my writing doesn't like move people Uh, (laughs) that's not my something I'm just super specifically talented at so I'm finding or I'm having a lot of light bulbs about how I can um, create new new things and create value um, for people in a way that I can monetize and use the podcast as another arm of my business down the road. That's so great to hear. I, um, I think there are a lot of things that you're doing 
well already. That took me a long time to figure out <laughs> like batching episodes, um, making your show notes easy, just kind of duplicating the previous episode. All, all of those things literally took me years to figure out. And I think uh, also contributed to a lot of overwhelm as well, because I just thought I had to recreate the wheel every time I made a new episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't really credit my own, like some of it I've kind of figured out on my own, but I also was able to leverage some tools from um, friends of mine. So I have a friend who's a, a business consultant and strategist, and she has a podcast as well. And she actually had an episode that was, I think her episode was titled how I started my podcast for uh, 995 in seven days. <laughs> and she had like a whole <laughs> itemized launch guide. And so that was a huge help to me. And some of the checkpoints that she listed off, that's where I realized like, oh, I could just, you know, do this same bullet point for every single episode when I'm batching or, um, I just, I just realized that I could duplicate blog post on Squarespace. I don't know how I never knew that, but that's something that I, I hadn't really thought about beforehand, but, you know, having the help and feedback from other people got my wheels turning about it. Yeah. Awesome. So you're early in the, in the journey of starting and hosting a podcast, but what would you want someone else to know who is thinking about and probably has been thinking about starting a podcast for a long time? I would say that it's, um, it's not, it's not that hard to get started. It is a learning curve, so it can feel overwhelming, but it's fairly, fairly simple to figure out. Um, and I think, you know, that's why there are so many, because it's one of those things that you can, you know, there's just a few big steps that, that you have to take to make it happen. Um, so that's number one is the overwhelm is overwhelming. But then once you figure it out, it gets pretty, it becomes pretty smooth. And that just like any other idea that you may have, there can be those initial thoughts of everybody's doing it. Does the world really need another podcast or people going to listen and I think uh, while it is important to validate your idea and gauge interest and speak to your audience about it um, you know I'm a, I'm a believer that we all have a unique voice we all have you know gifts and ideas and talents to share so regardless of how many podcasts out there are out there nobody's going to have your unique voice. And, you know, once you kind of narrow down and get clear on what your message is going to be and what you want to share about, you know, nobody's going to do it exactly the way you do it. And there are literally billions of people in the world. So I'm like, out of those billions, if, if I have just a few thousand <laughs> listening to me, that's amazing in my, you know, in my head. It is. That's a great point. I was thinking the same thing. There are what, seven and a half billion people on the planet right now. And mm -hmm. if only even a thousand of them or 500 of them 
listen to your podcast, it's not really that many people that you have to reach um, by a percentage of the total population on the planet. And you right. can make a really big impact doing that for those 500 mm-hmm. people. Agreed. Awesome. Okay. So if someone would like to check out your show, where can they find it at? So it's on all podcast platforms for the most part. So the big ones, Apple podcasts, you can listen to it there. Um, Spotify, Google podcasts, or anywhere else you may get your podcasts. What's the name? Also, oh, it's called the multifaceted mama. That's important. <laughs> so um, you can also check out my website, drlaurencollins.com. And I have all of the episodes embedded on the website. So if it's easy for you to just, you know, bookmark the website or, you know, find me on social media at the same place at Dr. Lauren Collins, I'll always have it in my, um, my links where you can just go and pull it up and listen from there. Great. Lauren, thank you again for sharing your experience with starting your podcast. I think that it's, um, it's really great for listeners to be able to have your perspective because you have a much more positive perspective on getting started than what I have had over the last year. So I really appreciate you being able to bring that to everyone. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Do you want to make more money without squeezing more patients or clients onto your schedule? If that's you, be sure to take my free class. In it, you'll learn how to bring leveraged income into your practice so you can work less, live more, and help more people than ever before. You can get signed up by going to drdanielleaton.com and click free.